You're listening to the Treasuring Christ Church podcast. At TCC, we believe that church isn't just like a family, but it is a family. We hope you're encouraged by listening to God's word today, but we would love to see you on Sundays at 1030. For more information, check us out online at tccannarbor.com. As we kick off a new year, it gives us a chance to just revisit uh, who we are, what we're doing, why we're here, what God uh, has called us to. And it's helpful in in all of life, uh, not just in church life, but in your personal life to kind of take stock and evaluate uh, where you're at and where you've been and and where you want to go in the new year. And uh, and. And for us as a church, we've, we, we've come to say this statement regularly. It's not unique to us. Uh, we've picked it up from some, some others that we've learned from along the way. Uh, our identity as a church, it's grounded. This, these ideas are grounded in God's word that uh, we're not just like a family. We, we are a family and we're a family who has a particular characteristic about us, a particular identity about us as family in Christ. We're called to be servants because Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And, and we're not just consumers, we're, we're missionaries. Uh, we're missionaries called to bear witness to the good news that's found in Jesus. Um, and, and so today we're going to look at what it means for the church to be a family. And I'm, I'm aware coming off the holidays that uh, during the holidays, we tend to spend time with friends and family, and, and those experiences can come sometimes with a mixture of a lot of joy as well as some sorrows. It's uh, enjoyable as well as hard, uh, depending on if you have to travel and what the dynamics are like at home, if you have kids in tow, or, uh, or, or what, whatever uh, circumstances are in play, there can often be a mixture of dynamics at play when you uh, spend time at fam- with family, mostly likely you always make some memories and have some stories to tell, even if it's about a crazy uncle. Um, But today, to kind of help us just renew our uh, kind of vision of family, I brought some pictures along to kind of represent this most recent Christmas as well as some Christmases in the past. Uh, This is us on Christmas morning, uh, our family. Um, Oh, excuse me. Uh, Got so excited to introduce uh, these pictures that I took out. Uh, Victor's mic. Uh, it's his birthday yesterday, by the way. He's not in here, but make sure to wish him a happy birthday. He turned uh, 21 yesterday. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> today's my son's birthday. He turns uh, three. Um, and a big shout out to the, uh, depending on when you talk to him, the blue, black, or red Power Ranger uh, that's in the front row. Um, uh, Victor turns three zero uh, is uh, his birthday today. But this is us on Christmas. And we always take a picture on the steps or, or kind of before we go downstairs and open up presents. And um, <clears throat> this is uh, everyone's really excited because they, for the most part, know what's coming except Graham. This is his first Christmas. He's not so sure about the whole uh, experience. But not only do we enjoy time together as a family, our immediate family, we also had our grandparents in town. Emily's parents uh, were just here. Um, enjoying time together. It's uh, always a joy to, to spend time uh, with them. They traveled up uh, from North Carolina. Um, I think they, they basically followed the rain home, like the whole 12-hour drive. I think they drove uh, in the rain yesterday, but I think they made it uh, safely home after stopping last night. They made it home the rest of the way. Uh, but sometimes during Christmas uh, and the holidays, as you have experiences with family, sometimes there are some, pro- some surprises. And this year, there was a surprise in our family. Um, uh, I decided 
uh, to, to go with the Ted Lasso look. And, um, you know, sometimes when you're shaving and you just have a vision of what you could be, um, I decided to bring that vision to fruition. And uh, <clears throat> much to the chagrin, as you can tell, uh, of, my, of my wife, she wasn't a fan. Uh, of my mustache, but I'll have you know that I wore it out of the house and wore it for a full 24 hours. Um, and uh, I think it gave me the confidence next time I'll be able to go uh, a little bit further. Um, and I did get a beard grooming kit uh, this year, so maybe I can put that to good use. Um, <clears throat> but uh, sometimes you have awkward pictures like this, but there are other awkward family photos. I just I was reminded, I was looking for, I don't know if you've seen those like coffee table books, the awkward family photos. There's some incredible uh, pictures. I, I don't have enough, but I do remember this Nike shirt. I definitely rocked that as a kid. Um, and, uh, and, and perhaps some of those jeans, um, I could just only imagine. I don't know how they got all those children to do that, number one. Like for us, we're excited if we can get them for like two seconds. Uh, how they used to do that before they had an iPhone to, to take it real quick, I'm not sure. But, um, but sometimes it's awkward for the kids. Sometimes it can be funny for the parents as their child looks at them like, who are you and why are you kissing me? Like in this next picture here, um, a lot of children have that experience. Uh, you know, sometimes as they're taking pictures like, mom, dad, why uh, are you doing this to me? Um, I don't know if you have any awkward family photos, but, but perhaps in the, in the next few weeks, maybe as we kick off our small groups, maybe we should share uh, awkward family photos uh, of some sort. Uh, but I brought one not only from Christmas present, but from Christmas past. Um, this is me rocking a belly shirt before it was cool or appropriate um, <clears throat> at my age. This is me with my, uh, my biological mom and dad and my sister uh, back in the day. Um, and uh, some people might be confused that that may be John, but that's actually, uh, that's me. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, when we think about family, as I mentioned, all of us have perhaps good bad, hard, and different experiences with family. Um, sometimes it's easy and a joy. Sometimes it's difficult and it's hard. And in some ways, I put this picture up. It's uh, not only a, um, fun to, to kind of look back and see some, some pictures from old, uh, from years past, but honestly, uh, every family picture kind of tells a story. And uh, this, this picture tells a story, and I can't share my whole story, but basically come from a, uh, a little bit of a broken background and family. Parents were never married. This is my half-sister. Um, both my mom and dad passed right before our oldest daughter uh, was born in 2013. And uh, in God's grace, I came to know Christ as a teenager um, and my first Sunday school uh, teachers, uh, their son became my best friend. And uh, slowly over time, as I grew in Christ and went through different uh, difficulties uh, in my dad's and stepmom's relationship and, and divorce when I was a senior in high school, they adopted me into their family. Um, this is the family that God gave me. But in God's grace, um, <clears throat> he uh, also allowed me to be brought into a family, uh, not only a church family, but another family that looked at me and said, uh, we call you our son and you can call us mom and dad. And in many ways, when we talk about the church as a family, what we're talking about is not the family that we're born into, but the family that we're born again into in Christ. Uh, that we're adopted into. And so today I want us to see that, as I've already said, the church isn't like a family. The church is a family. And this really is a glorious truth 
that has all kinds of practical implications. And um, <clears throat> as we think about this truth, there's a passage, there's lots of different places you can go, but I, I wanted us to go to the Galatians chapter 4. If you have your Bible and open there to Galatians chapter 4, in, in many ways, I, uh, <clears throat> we've joked in our family that Christmas kind of came and went, but we weren't quite done with Christmas. So no shame, our trees basically, uh, the ornaments are about to fall off the tree because it's shriveling up and dying. Uh, but we're not quite ready to take it down. And yesterday we were working in the house with Christmas music on. You know, it just seemed right. We weren't quite done with Christmas. And, uh, and so it also seemed fitting that we would come to a passage that outside the Gospels, this is my favorite Christmas passage um, that speaks to us of the coming of Christ, the birth of Christ, and why he came. And, and in it, we see this glorious truth. We see that we're adopted into God's family through faith in Christ. We're adopted into God's family through faith in Christ. Read with me, starting in Galatians 4, verse 4. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God had sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And of a son, then an heir through God. See, Galatians 4, chapter 4 is a Christmas passage because it speaks of how in God's timing and according to his promise in the fullness of time, he sent his son. And verse 4 makes three distinct claims that are important. It says that Jesus was God. He is the son of God. We see that Jesus was indeed fully man as he was born of a woman, miraculously born to the Virgin Mary. And we see that he was born under the law, which speaks to his righteousness. Jesus was fully God. Jesus was fully man. And Jesus was totally righteous. He came and was sent by the Father for a specific purpose that we see in verse 5. He came uh, in God's perfect timing as the only one who could accomplish what God sent him to do because he was totally God and totally man and totally righteous. It says that the purpose of his coming in verse 5 was twofold, to redeem those under the law and to adopt us as sons. He redeemed us under the law, and, and Galatians unpacks this for us throughout the rest of the, the book. If you look at it, specifically going back to chapter 3, he redeemed us who were under the law. That is, he, he took us who are condemned by our failure to obey the law, who were cursed because of our disobedience, and through his death he became a curse for us. Jesus in our place is the heart of the gospel. Jesus took our sin upon himself and redeemed us, purchased us out of bondage to sin. And in and, and purchasing us out of bondage to sin, it says that he brought us into something. And that's the second part, to adopt us as sons, to take us from slaves and make us his sons with the full privileges and blessings of bearing his name. So what... This glorious truth shows us is that it, it, to say that Jesus redeemed us or that he saves us is to also say that he adopted us. That he took us from being outside of not only being his people, but being an enemy of God. And not only brought us in to be a part of the people of God, but to be a part of the family of God. 
to adopt us as sons. In the language of the Bible, we often see this language of brothers and sisters, and, and we see the, uh, the kind of collective sense in which both men and women, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, are brought into the family of God and the church. But there's a particular significance of saying that he's made us sons. In the first century, to adopt a son, uh, to have a son was to, to, to be able to pass on the name and to pass on the inheritance of the family. And it's this unique status, men and women, given this status as sons of God. And to be sons, it goes on to say, is to be, is to be given the full inheritance, to become an heir through God. And so <clears throat> we see that our adoption is secured in two ways. First, in the sending of his son, it says, in the fullness of time, he sent forth his son. Jesus came. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 doesn't unpack all of this, but in the, in the book of Galatians and throughout the rest of the, the New Testament, we see that Jesus came. He was born, as we said through our Advent series, he was born to die so that we might live. Jesus came to save us. He came to, to lay down his life for us. He came to take up his life, to, to be raised victoriously so that, uh, as we often say here at TCC, no matter how deep the grave we are in because of our sin, he can raise us up. He gives us new life through faith in him. He secures our adoption through the sending of his son. But, but secondly, we also see that he secures our adoption through the sending of his spirit. Do you notice how it says in verse 6? That because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts as we cry, Abba, Father. This internal testimony, the sending of a spirit into, into our hearts, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, as well as the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit is, is what the Bible says gives us confidence that we are children of God. That sometimes when our hearts condemn us, sometimes that we feel overwhelmed perhaps by our sin or perhaps Satan's accusations of our past failure come up in our minds and in our hearts. There's an internal testimony that God has given the children of God that says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, First John says. That you belong to me, that you're my child. What a wonderful testimony that is. Sometimes I try to say to my own kids when they will slow down enough for me to listen to them that I love them not because of what they've done, not because of what they've achieved, but just because they're mine. It's as if the Holy Spirit, the sending of his spirit is this reminder that God testifies to our hearts, to our spirits, that he loves us, not because of our performance. Hey, look, whatever, whatever last year held, 2021, maybe, maybe it felt like more of 2020. Maybe 2022, they say it's pronounced 2022. However you want to look at that. Hopefully it's different than 2020, right? But whatever the past has held, whatever the present is, God says if we belong to him and we've trusted in his son, then he loves us and, and he calls us his own, not because of what we've done for him or, uh, or because of our performance, but because he's called us his own. He loves us just because we're his so we see our adoption is secure through the sending of his son and the sending of his spirit. And the significance of this in verses six through seven, we see that we have intimacy with God, that we know God personally. 
And, and this is a, a testimony of the coming of Christ and, and how God has always been near to his people. His presence was always available to his people, as we read from the Old Testament to the New. The, the Old Testament isn't, isn't all law and no grace, and the New Testament all grace and no law. It's not that way at all. God has always operated by grace through faith. In the Old Testament, he redeemed Israel from bondage in Egypt and called them his own, his people in Exodus 19. And then he said, as people who are redeemed by me, here's how you live. And in order to help you as you fail in your carrying out obedience to the law, I give you the sacrificial system so that you can have the forgiveness of sins. It's always by grace through faith, looking uh, forward to the, to the future provision that God would provide by the immediate sacrifices that they would offer in the Old Testament. When Christ came, it was still by grace through faith, but this time not, not in the, the regular offering of sacrifices, but in the once and for all offering of Christ's sacrifice. That our forgiveness was complete and secure and, and that there's this new distinct way. It, it was promised in the prophets like in Jeremiah 31 in the new covenant that we would know God personally. Each one would know God. And it, that's exactly what it's saying here, that we have this intimacy with God, that we know him personally. And how, how better to express this than in the personal devotion life, the prayer life of the Christian, that we can, we can draw close to God and we don't say omnipotent being who's out there. We don't say just alone though we could, powerful, sovereign creator. But we can, we can draw close and we can say, Father, dear Father, Abba, Father. It, 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 it sounds in many ways like a, a, par- a child who would call out to a parent, Daddy, but it's not the language of infancy, just in the sense of the babbling of a kid, but it's the language of intimacy. It, it's, I, I, I love our, our daughter Caroline. She'll, she'll immediately, the first thing she wants when she comes downstairs is she'll look at you, she'll hold up her hands, and whether it's daddy or mommy, there's no particular favorite, though maybe she favors mommy a little bit more. She takes three words, will you hold me? And she puts them together in one word and says, yold me, yold me, yold me, yold me. She just wants to be close. She just wants to be held. And there's this sense of intimacy that she can just reach out. Of course, if a stranger comes along, she's not going up to them and saying, yold me. She's like hiding behind my leg or, or in the stroller. In the same way, we don't, when we come to God, we don't have to hide. We don't have to cower. We, we don't have to brush ourselves up and come to him. Instead, we come and we cry out with the language of intimacy. Abba, Father. But not only do we have intimacy, we have an inheritance that we share in God's blessing fully. We know God personally. We share in God's blessing fully. All the riches of grace and mercy belong to us. Nothing that God has does he withhold from those who are his own. Sometimes, though, we don't, we don't fully recognize how rich our Father is in mercy and in grace. And we spend our time trying to, to kind of come up with our own solutions and figuring out our own plans over here. And we have a Father who's given us his inheritance that's ours through faith in Christ. This is a glorious truth that we're adopted into God's family through faith in Christ. I, uh, I don't have time to read this in full, but there's this quote by J.I. Packer in his classic book, Knowing God, <clears throat> a chapter on the fatherhood of God in there. He says, 
<clears throat> he says that to, to, to understand adoption is to understand the heart of Christianity. To understand what it means to be brought into the family of God is, is the heart. He says, Father is the Christian name for God. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. That's something to chew on as you think about the fullness of what that means to be adopted into God's family, to belong to him. And, and often as we think about this, there are such deep personal applications of this that, that encourage us, right? That we, we are God's children. It's not on our performance. It's on the basis of him accepting us. It's on the work of Christ that we're accepted. But the, the language of adoption throughout the New Testament isn't just personal, though it is personal. If you've trusted in Christ, you, you have to trust in Christ personally and personally and individually, you, you are a child of God. But throughout the, the New Testament, the language isn't just personal, it's also corporate. It's, it's you guys, it's y'all, we together are God's family. And, and the, the glorious truth that when we, when we trust in Christ, we're adopted into God's family has practical implications and the way that's worked out is that we live as God's family in the local church. We're adopted into God's family through faith in Christ, and in doing so, God brings us into uh, his family, and that takes expression in a local church. It's true that we, across space and time, are brothers and sisters in Christ with all kinds of believers from different churches, different denominational backgrounds, and, and all of that gives us a, a broad umbrella sense of unity, but there's a particular expression that it should take that we belong to one another in a local church. For us, this is the foundation of church membership at TCC that we're a family, that we make a commitment to one another, and, and the church makes a commitment to us to walk with one another and following Christ and living on mission for him. And so here, as we think about what it means to live as God's family in the local church, the best way to express this, I found, is to look at the one another's throughout scripture. How God continually shows us the way we're to relate to one another. And if you were just to take time to read Paul's letters in the New Testament or even in, uh, in Peter's letters or in James, you see repeatedly the language of brothers and sisters. It's the baseline identification and understanding of how we're to relate to one another. We call God Father. We relate to one another as brothers and sisters because of the work of Christ and the testimony of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We have this identity as the family of God. <clears throat> this isn't unique to me, but these one another's, there's over 60 of these in the New Testament. It can be broken down into a few different categories, uh, four in particular that I want us to consider. Devotion, unity, hospitality, and discipleship. And, and as we begin this new year, we begin with this Renew series and just as an opportunity to remind ourselves of, of what God's called us to be, who we're called to be. And so I, I give these in the language of renewal that this year, as we think about what it means to be the family of God, that we would renew uh, our commitment to living as God's family in the local church in, in these four ways, that we would renew our devotion to one another. I brought the receipts here. Um, of all the places that God calls us to this. And I won't uh, read all of them to you, but as a baseline, Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to one another. Here it is, in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves. 
the, the command that perhaps is most pervasive throughout Jesus's teaching as well as into the New Testament letters is that we might love one another. Jesus said, a new command I give to you that you would love one another. And by this all will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. He, he said it twice just in case you missed it. And, and then later on, we will see the same thing. Let no debt remain outstanding except this one. Here's the debt that we owe to one another to keep loving each other. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law because Jesus taught us that the commands of the law are summed up in this. Love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. And our love takes expression in the way that we serve one another and the way that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and, and the way that we gather together. Hebrews 10 tells us not to neglect to meet together as is the habit of son, but in doing so as we gather to encourage one another all the more as the day draws near. God's telling us that we, we are to be devoted to one another. And as a church, we express that devotion by being together, by caring for one another, by serving one another, by being available to one another. It happens in this gathering, but it also happens as we scatter. And, and, and as we do this, as, as almost all of these one another's uh, have this dynamic, both of building up the body as well as bearing witness to the gospel. You see, when we express devotion to one another, it, it reminds us that the church isn't a country club. It isn't a civic club. It isn't just a special interest group. We're, we're not here because of something that we share physically in common together. We're here because of our common unity in Christ. And that unity in Christ leads us to be devoted to one another across all kinds of differences. So we're reminded to renew our devotion to one another, but also to renew our commitment to unity. As you read throughout these one another's, this is perhaps the most pervasive. Live in harmony with one another, Paul says in Romans 12. Stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. There's that language of brother and sister, our family. Because we're family, we accept one another, Paul says, just as Christ accepted you in order that we might bring praise to God. In every way, he says, agree with one another that there would be no divisions among you. And, and this call to unity reminds us that there are real differences between us. But in our real differences, we're called to bear with one another in love. We're, we're called not to, to pass judgment on one another, not in the sense of not caring for one another and noticing sin or helping address issues and challenges that we're facing in our life, but, but, but not putting up stumbling blocks and passing judgments on one another that, it, that hinders relationship and that hinders conversation, but instead to be kind and compassionate to one another. If we're going to have unity, we have to learn to forgive each other. The conflicts and, and sometimes tensions that arise as the church does life together. It's just like, it's just like in families when you, when you put family together and marriage or you put people together under the same roof who are sinners. Sinners are going to sin, right? Like that's just what we do. And, and it shouldn't surprise us that there at times will be those, uh, those conflicts that arise. 
But God calls us. He gives us what we need in Christ to be compassionate, to forgive, just as God in Christ forgave you. I, I say this often to, to folks when sometimes there's a struggle with another believer. And, and obviously there's, there's significant sin that has to be addressed at times and, and there's trust that has to be rebuilt in certain circumstances. But sometimes when we get upset at another brother or sister in Christ, something they said, something they did, we have to ask ourselves, am I holding them to a standard higher than Christ? Am I, am I, do I believe that the sacrifice of Christ that was sufficient to forgive all my sin isn't quite sufficient enough to help me to forgive their sin against me? In this sense that we, we have to learn to, to be uh, forgiving of one another, bearing with each other. Colossians 3 repeats it, forgiving whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Don't slander one another. Finally, 1 Peter, I love this, says all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Tim Challies, who's an author and a blogger, he said it this way. He says community begins with unity and unity begins with humility. Until we esteem others as better than ourselves, as Ephesians calls us to, and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, as Ephesians 5.21 says. We can't maintain unity. It requires humility, seeing ourselves rightly as God sees us and one another as God sees us, and then drawing near to each other in humility and experiencing unity. <clears throat> Renewing our commitment to unity is a call for us just in everyday life to, uh, to remember our common faith in Christ, our common identity as brothers and sisters in Christ, and then across our differences to love one another. And, and like the church, the church should be a place that when people look at it and they go, why are they hanging out together? They're different. You know, we're, we're a young church. And as we're growing, we're, we, we want to grow into a, a, a beautiful, diverse family, young and old, from all types of different ethnic and cultural and racial backgrounds, or all type of life stages, all type of experiences that God gives us. Because we believe that's a testimony to the kingdom of God, a God who, who made us and the community that he's put us in. And, and, and all of those things, what we're doing is we're not hanging on to one identifying feature about ourselves, where we're from or something that we like or something that we, we kind of have in common in terms of our hobbies or interests or those kind of things. What we're saying is that we are in Christ. And what's then beautiful is that across our differences, we can learn to be united and celebrate the things that are different, learn from one another, grow together. And the world looks at that and says, why are you doing that? What unites you? It's clearly not you don't dress the same. You don't live in the same perhaps neighborhood or perhaps you, you don't have the same background. You're, you, you work here. You go to school here. You do this. You do that. You're single. You're a family. You're older. You're younger. What unites us? It's Christ. Just as Christ forgave us, we forgive one another. Just as Christ welcomed and accepted us, so we welcome and accept one another. And not only do we renew our commitment to unity, but also renew our practice of hospitality. Romans 12 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 9, offer hospitality to one another. Here's, here's the part that just had to add this, without grumbling. Sometimes it can be hard to offer that kind of hospitality. Don't neglect to do good and share what you have. These things are pleasing to God, Hebrews 13 says. As you have the opportunity, do good to everyone but do good especially to the household of God, Galatians 6.10 says. I define hospitality this way. Hospitality is humbly serving others and extending the grace that you've received in Christ freely to others. 
humbly serve, and extend the grace that you've received in Christ freely to others. So this means that we not only open up our hearts, but we open up our, our lives. It means that we tangibly seek to do others good. It may literally be in your home and at your table, or it may be in demonstrating unity or generosity to, to others. Maybe it's sharing a lunch during the week, grabbing coffee after work, dropping off a meal during a hard week, reaching out to see how someone's doing. This type of hospitality isn't meant to impress. It's meant to serve. It's relational in nature. At TCC, we don't want to be a distant family to one another. We want to be the family that's just down the road, the family that knows what's going on and that draws near to serve and to help. I think saying, let's get dinner, may be one of the most strategic ways that we can build up the church as well as advance the gospel. In a world that's so polarized and, and, and uh, so many differences, sometimes the best thing you can do is say, hey, come over, let's get together. Draw near to people relationally, and uh, as Rosaria Butterfield says, hard conversations often require deep relationships. Draw near in hospitality, and God will give you opportunities to serve and grow uh, with another brother or sister in Christ as well as to speak the gospel to those who are in need. And then finally, <clears throat> and our band will come back up and, and close our time in worship. We want to renew our growth in discipleship. All throughout the one another's, um, there's this implication that it's about building up the body. And it makes this clear in a few different places. Like Romans 15, we're called to instruct one another. And Ephesians 5, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, spiritual truths, not just like singing at each other. It's not like just living a musical, but it's, it's literally speaking spiritual truth to one another. And it says it best in Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. God's called us to seek one another's spiritual good, to encourage each other, to build each other up. I love how Hebrews 10, 24 says it. Consider each other. Consider each other that you might know how to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. It's Mark Dever who said a very broad definition of discipleship is doing deliberate good to help someone follow Christ. At the core, following being discipleship is about you following Christ. And in the extension of that, that Jesus shows us is not just to be a disciple, but to make disciples. It's doing deliberate good to help someone follow Christ. This helps us to understand that discipleship can be formal. You can say, hey, let's get together for six months and walk through a book of the Bible or walk through a book to help you grow in a particular area. Or it can be informal. Hey, let's catch up. Uh, every so often and, and, and encourage one another in the faith. At TCC, we have equip classes that we do on Sunday morning and others that we do outside Sunday mornings. We have one coming up on uh, family discipleship throughout different stages where we're digging into to specific topics. We looked through the storyline of the Bible last semester. We'll repeat that this semester and in the future do uh, unpacking spiritual formation as well as uh, a basic kind of doctrine for the Christian life. And our men's and our women's discipleship, they provide us a place to dig deeper with one another in specific ways that, that help us to, to grow and follow Christ. Small groups provide a place where you relationally can be connected with one another, where formal and informal discipleship can take place. We want to renew our growth in discipleship. These, these are the ways that we, we practice what it means to be a family. 
We relate to one another as brothers and sisters in the way uh, that we care for one another and the devotion that we have to one another, our unity in Christ, our service towards one another in hospitality and our commitment to growing together in Christ. So I want us to, in this new year, embrace our identity as family so that we might build each other up and we might bear witness to the God who adopts sinners into his family. Because that's all of our testimonies if we're in Christ today. And if you're not yet in Christ, the invitation that he gives to you is to come into the family. Not based on your performance, but based on Christ's perfect performance on your behalf. Let's pray.